Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Anyone U.S. Senator can prevent a bill from receiving a vote. The procedure that grants that ability, known as the filibuster, has a well-documented history in the Senate of preserving the rights of the minority party. Should there be a Democratic majority in the next Senate, many political analysts speculate the filibuster could be in jeopardy. Our team of Democratic and Republican strategists dive into the likelihood the filibuster is removed and the significant impact its elimination would have on the legislative process. Welcome back to the Brownstein podcast series. I'm Brian Wild, and today I am joined by my Democratic colleagues, Al Motter and former Senator Mark Begich, and my fellow Republican colleague, Brian McGuire. Between the four of us, we have several decades of experience in the U.S. Senate, working with freshmen, rank and file members, committee chairs, and at the highest levels of leadership, which is what will make today's conversation so much fun. Today, we are talking about the Senate filibuster and the desire by some, frankly, on, on both sides of the aisle to repeal it. Lately, the rumor has been that should the Democrats take control of the Senate in January, one of the first actions they may take would be to repeal the Senate's longstanding filibuster rule so that legislation can more easily be debated and passed with a simple majority threshold. In fact, Vice President Biden was asked about this very scenario in the first presidential debate. Before we start making predictions, maybe we should start with a, a refresher. Uh, Brian McGuire, you're the most recent uh, Senate employee, and as a former Chief of Staff to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, um, why don't you set the table for us in the conversation and provide a little background on, on what the filibuster has traditionally been used for, its purpose, and, and maybe how it impacts uh, the legislative process. Sure. Uh, so the filibuster um, is a tool that's been in use in the Senate in its current form for about 45 years. It has its roots uh, further back than that. But just to kind of catch us up, um, the current rule, which was established in 1975, requires three-fifths or 60 votes to get on or to get off legislation. And in the Senate, the most distinctive feature, uh, I would say, of the Senate is the right of any senator, any one of the hundred, to deny that consent to move on to a bill and um, thus requiring that 60 vote threshold to be applied either to get on or to get off legislation. And um, this has obviously become a feature of popular culture and it's, it's much discussed as a kind of delaying tactic. But the other way to look at it is that it really ensures that the Senate is the place where the big differences in the country between the two parties are worked out in the middle because if you're requiring 60 votes for anything, particularly important issues, you're ensuring that the outcome, the final product, is something that's broadly accepted by the public. And I think that's, that's the filibuster when it's properly used. That's the, the reason it, it exists. And if you look at all the major legislation of the modern era, the big items like Medicare and Medicaid 1965, the Voting Rights Act, Social Security, uh, Americans with Disability Act, were all passed with big bipartisan majorities, thus ensuring their stability and their acceptance broadly. So I think, you know, every tool can be either used or abused. That's the filibuster when it's used well. Obviously, it's, it's been abused. And um, I think, you know, what we're going to be talking about 
today is the Democrat perception that it's being abused and whether they should revisit it as a result of that. And with that, I'm going to turn to Al. Um, Al Motter, you're, you're our lead Democrat strategist here at Brownstein. I know you have loads of Senate experience uh, as well as, as lobbying the Senate. Um, so let's make a, a couple of assumptions that, that probably neither Brian or I are going to like. Uh, let's assume that the Democrats do gain control of the Senate and that Chuck Schumer becomes majority leader. Uh, what do you think the odds are that they actually make changes to the filibuster? Well, Brian, I think the odds are substantial. And after last night's presidential debate, more likely that the Democrats do, in fact, find themselves in the scenario you hypothesized about. The caveat to all of this is that there are some conservative to moderate Democratic senators and candidates running for Senate who, if they are elected or reelected, are probably less likely to want to dramatically change the way the Senate works. I'll give as an example Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat from West Virginia, very popular in that state, a state that President Trump carried overwhelmingly against Hillary Clinton. And so the politics there skew red, and he is not one who is going to be likely to embrace, at least at first, a rampant filibuster overhaul. However, if the Senate is faced with a Biden administration and a Democratic House and an inability to enact meaningful policy changes that the Democratic caucus wants because of Republican obstruction, you could see a scenario where they do in fact vote to eliminate the filibuster entirely. So I would envision a scenario in which a vote or two takes place at first before getting rid of it. Those efforts are thwarted on policy, whether it's healthcare or taxes or something else. And then after those failures, it then gives the Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer, the ability to say, see, I told you we have to get rid of this and they move forward accordingly. So Senator Begich, you've been on both sides of the filibuster, probably used it to stop things you didn't want and to, to push things that you wanted to push. And as a moderate in the Senate, you kind of played a crucial role of, of being that swing vote for both sides. What argument do you think Schumer and the Democrat leaders are going to use to, to actually help keep the moderates as part of their conference? Is this going to be helpful or harmful for Democrats as a whole if they make this move? Let, let me uh, pick up also where Al uh, talked about, and that was, I, I think, you know, the moderates are going to find themselves in an interesting role. I do think, as mentioned, there'll be a couple of these, what I call test issues. There'll be, you know, economic stimulus, which is a big deal. Um, ACA, maybe some other items that maybe the Supreme Court deals with or might deal with that the Democrats want to, you know, see where the votes lie. And they'll use maybe the old filibuster rule of 60. And when those fail, they'll show to the public that, see, we can't get the things you elected us to do. And therefore, we have to change the rule. They have to make the, they have to create the narrative before they can even think about making these you know, these changes, because once you change the filibuster rule on issues, you, you can't go back. As we saw on the court issue, it was the Democrats that made the first change on courts. I know because I was serving during that period. And then uh, the Republicans took it to the next level, which is the Supreme Court. So once you touch this issue, there's no going back. And then, you know, the result could be that you know the first couple of years, assuming as described that the Democrats control the House and the Senate and the presidency, that there'll be a lot of issues that will be moving very rapidly. I don't think there'll be ex 
too extreme of issues because I think there'll be folks like Senator Schumer who will be thinking beyond the next two years and how they manage to stay in that position of power. And so I think there will be a, a, a test, several test cases. They'll make create the narrative of, you know, the things that matter to Americans, why people got elected, just as the president said, and others have said that elections have consequences. I think the filibuster has a high likelihood. When I was in the Senate, this was debated constantly at every caucus meeting. You know, do we get rid of it? Do we not? And there's been some movements. I mean, when you look at someone like Chris Coons, who was not uh, supportive of getting rid of the filibuster, at least during my time there, has started to move to get rid of it. And I think he sees if Biden wins the presidency, I think he'll want to be a strong proponent of moving the filibuster to get the Biden agenda done. So I, I think, again, some test cases, some narrative, and then an action plan of probably early February, March, in those periods that the filibuster could come down. Let's get to some of those unintended consequences kind of ideas, you know. So Majority Leader Reid at the time removes the filibuster on judicial nominees. And really, I think Democrats look back on that. And the big winner was Mitch McConnell and, and President Trump, who've who've made it, you know, literally a job number one to get to get judges through. And there's a lot of Democrats that think, wow, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Brian, kind of going to you on the Republican side, you know, should the Democrats take over and, and, and your old boss becomes minority leader? You know, he's only two years away from from getting the mantle back. You know, what what do you think some of the unintended consequences of a filibuster being removed would be? And, and how can how would Mitch McConnell do this? Yeah, I think it's very short sighted um, to, to go ahead and do away with the filibuster. It, it, there's no question that it's frustrating to be in the minority. And you can understand a party um, assuming control, wanting to get things done immediately and wanting to do it their way, particularly if they feel as though they've got a mandate. But again, the the role of the Senate traditionally has been to moderate and to kind of direct those energies in a way, in such a way that the final product is broadly accepted. And um, I think, though they don't admit it, I think a lot of Democrats, if given truth serum, would 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 say that they regret doing away with the filibuster for circuit court nominees in 2013, and potentially even filibustering or threatening to filibuster uh, Neil Gorsuch in 2017, thus leading to the um, change in that rule and enabling, you know, potentially here now three Supreme Court justices to be confirmed on a majority basis by um, the Senate majority Republicans. If the Democrats do go ahead and do it, I think they would regret it in short order. I think one of the unintended consequences is that it would heighten polarization in the country precisely because it would remove that moderating role that the filibuster, when best used, plays in our system of government. And um, I think it would enable a lot of very hot partisan legislation to pass very quickly and that there would almost certainly be a voter backlash. And, you know, as Leader McConnell warned after the filibuster was done away with or threatened to be done away with for circuit court nominees, I think the other party would stand to benefit from it in short order and then would do to the Democrats um, what Democrats could here potentially do to Republicans. And I just don't think that that's a good outcome if what you're looking for is a kind of calming down of the partisan tensions and the polarization in the country politically right now. Al, uh, I, I know you have some thoughts on this. What are, what are some unintended consequences that you see? 
Well, I agree with Brian about polarization. Brute power tends to create hate and anger and resentment on the other side. And make no mistake about it, this would be the coldest exercise of brute power the Senate has seen from a substantive and legislative perspective. And I do think, however, it would also have some positive benefits, which are not necessarily intended, but would give power back to committee chairmen. Right now, uh, legislation in both chambers is largely crafted by a small group of people, often just at the leadership level. And if I'm a Joe Manchin or another senator who is bargaining over whether or not to actually vote for this, I would say, I'm going to be the chair of the Energy Committee. Uh, and if I'm going to vote for this, you're going to make sure that our committees are the ones who drive legislation, not the leadership in dark rooms in the dead of night. And so it actually could create a more fulsome legislating process whereby bills are addressed and examined by lots more members in sunshine, in daylight, so to speak. When I worked in the Senate on the Senate Commerce Committee, we routinely marked up many, many bills on a bipartisan basis, which then were considered on the floor. That happens less these days because of the dynamics I just described. So one unintended consequence could actually be a benefit in terms of how legislation is considered and advanced in the Senate. So as I think the only member of this group that's, that's worked in the House, uh, where we don't have a filibuster, and having worked for, for my old boss, Speaker Boehner, and seeing how he had to to work within his conference to try to come to agreement before they could even get to a bill. Speaker Pelosi's had the same kind of problems in moving legislation. You know, I see a, a hurdle uh, that either McConnell or Schumer would have to actually even get their own group of 50 to agree. Senator Begich, as a freshman member of the Senate, you were able to come in and kind of immediately have an impact because the Senate is really made up of individuals. You know, every senator is powerful in that process. Um, do you think this would, would change that? Does this give more power to the senior members? Does it give, as Al said, uh, committees more power? Um, how, how does it change the ability for a single senator to make a difference? I think you have to start with in the Senate by its own nature. It is each person does have some incredible power if they utilize it right. But this is a pretty unknown course people are taking. I do think that if the filibuster is gone, and I agree with Al, that the committee structures will absolutely uh, change for those chairmen that want to take command. Because think about it. Some of those committee structures uh, we'll have one vote margins because it will be that tight in the membership makeup if you assume the Democrats take it up. One vote margin, meaning Democrats have one vote more than the Republicans, there will be moderates on those, and they will be negotiating. That one vote could make a huge difference. So committees, I think, become more influential, at least the chairman and their activities. Uh, you take Joe Manchin, who was mentioned a couple times here, He'll be the chair of energy committee if the kind of the deck plays out correctly. He, he likes to make a deal. He likes to figure out how to solve problems. And, you know, as a former governor, he knows how you can wield that power. I think the other thing that will be pretty wild is the amendment process on the floor of the Senate. And that usually 
is left to kind of the manager who gets a list from people, they make it up, they negotiate behind closed doors, and then they come out and say, okay, these are all agreed to end the story. But again, when you're now at 50 plus one to get anything passed, you will see, and I did it as a moderate, I voted with Republicans more than once on amendments, especially during the budget process. I think that was more of a show and tell a lot of people were doing. Now we'll be on big issues because they'll be put up in a way that makes it difficult for some to not vote for an item. And so the amendment process on the Senate floor, you might see instead of empty chambers, people talking to you know the, the floor manager or the TV screen, they're going to be talking to a lot more senators. And I think that in a weird way is going to be positive, getting rid of the filibuster in the sense of the public process. But um, I think any member now under these rules, I don't care if you're there one day or there, you know, 20 years, uh, you'll have equal and more influence than you've had before. So it, it will be pretty wild. It might be more like the house, which the Senate doesn't like to be, to be frank with you. They'd rather have some control over the outcome. Uh, but I think it's going to create more debate and committees have more influence and amendments on the floor will be more prevalent and uh, action on them will probably be surprising to some people. So uh, we're all lobbyists. That's what we do. That's what, that's what Brownstein does. We do it well. How does this, how would it change what, what we do? Um, does it make it easier, more difficult, give us more inputs, fewer inputs, you know, how would it, how would a, a, an organization that's trying to impact policy interact differently with a Senate that didn't have a filibuster? And with that, Al, you're the one with the most experience here. So, so you, you get to take that one on first. Well, Brian, I think at first, let's start with the premise that there'd be a lot more legislative activity because there wouldn't be the check on acting that exists currently with the filibuster. So at least for the first 100, 200 days of an administration, the Democratic Party would have the opportunity to move significant pieces of legislation that affect virtually the entire economy. And that would render a flurry of activity from a business perspective. Uh, business groups would have to be active, engaged from the get-go. They'd have more opportunity to engage earlier um, as we just discussed with respect to committees actually crafting legislation as opposed to just a few members of leadership and leadership staff crafting legislation. And so I think it would be incumbent on business to get ready to um, work harder, longer, faster, but also to potentially have more of an opportunity to influence whatever legislation is crafted. From a long-term perspective, I think that Brian McGuire is right that it will occasion a backlash and some enmity politically, and then you will find this two-year window gone in the midterm elections when Republicans will have a greater odds of recovering at least one of the chambers. But as I said at the outset, I think there will be an incredible amount of activity that will rival uh, 2009 in terms of how the Obama administration with a filibuster proof Senate when they were 60 Democrats was able to enact legislation that affected health care, the energy sector, financial services sector, the stimulus package. I mean, it was such an over avalanche of legislation. You could, if you blinked, you'd miss um, major changes to the economy from a policy perspective. 
Brian, since since Al mentioned your name, you know, one, you feel free to comment on on general lobbying it, but but I'm also specifically interested in a minority's perspective. If if the Republicans are in the minority, yeah, how do, how is lobbying them? I mean, are they still going to have a voice in, in what legislation looks like? And does it differ, you know, issue by issue, member by member? What are the changes for lobbying Republicans without a filibuster? Well, I agree with Al that it's you know, sort of inarguable that the level of activity will would increase, you know, pretty dramatically if members aren't slowing, don't have the ability to slow things down as they have historically. Things would move very quickly. It would it, there would be a lot more activity, presumably. Um, obviously, this also depends on what the outcome of the election is in terms of how narrow the divide is. If there's one member or two members who end up being the sort of deciders, if those are moderate members, they'll become very popular, and um, they'll have a, a an outsized say in in what ends up happening on the floor. I think Leader McConnell would adapt very quickly um, under these circumstances and would either find a way to make this hugely unpopular in the court of public opinion and um, would result in the kind of backlash that I think would be likely in any case. Uh, I think he'd be very good at kind of highlighting the, uh, the downsides to getting rid of the filibuster. And I also think you know, there's no question that if members in the minority lose the ability to slow things down, that as a as a conference, they'll they'll just end up having less less influence over the outcome. I don't see how that's there's any other outcome there. So, Senator Begich, you're going to get the last word here. How is all of this going to 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 impact what you do, the Senate as a whole? Is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? You know, just generally, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's going to be a lot more busy for people. I think business community usually focused on, and you know, with our clients, we focus a lot on the committee and where we can influence the process there and getting our issues on the table, but on the floor of the Senate will be a lot more active uh, just because amendments will be possible, which when I was in the Senate, that was very rare that you could have that usually was worked out elsewhere. So this will be pretty active in a lot of ways. I do think, um, I want to disagree a little bit with my Republican colleagues, and that is I think Mitch McConnell will focus on a process which, you know, he, he will adapt. There's no question about that. But the challenge will be some of his members will, especially after this election, if they lose in some of these races and they see trend lines changing, some of them may want to go figure out what they're going to do to work with Democrats. And when they know they just have to be the one vote or the two vote, you know, that may change some of the dynamics. Uh, herd mentality only goes so far. And I think when people taste this ability to put an amendment on the floor, a Republican, and get Democrats to support it, uh, or a mix of some Republicans and Democrats, that's going to be enticing to people. And they will want to get things done. The, the, the freshmen of today, House and I think Senate, want to get stuff done. And the public has said that. So they're going to keep that in mind. So I, I think it's, un, it's not, you can't predict, Mitch McConnell's very good at keeping his caucus tight. But the dynamics are about to change radically. And if you'd get rid of the filibuster, and that creates new opportunities for members who might have felt 
that they've had no voice in their caucus. Now they get a voice. And that's going to change a few things. And human nature is actually to work together, <laughs> not be yelling at each other all day long. And uh, with Trump gone under this assumption, um, people will, there'll be like a relief. And people say, what can we do to show the American people? Now, that may be a very short time or maybe a longer period of time. So I, have, I think it's going to be pretty wild. And, and our clients are going to be very interested in every element. Uh, and we will have to be working double time based on the dynamics of a filibuster change. Well, thank you all for participating there. I, I'll agree with Senator Begich at the end and, and say I think there's frustration with Republicans and Democrats on the limits on debate that have, have happened over the last several Congresses. Um, and I've always been a fan of, of legislators who legislate. And um, I'm, I hope that if this happens, that that's the outcome, that there's, there's more involvement. But um, thank you, Al. Um, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Brian. This is uh, just another podcast uh, in, the, in the Brownstein series. And uh, one of many prognostications on, on what the future may hold. So uh, we're entering some, some interesting times. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farbershreck podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.